0: In uh, in 2001, our family went on a summer vacation. Uh, I had an opportunity to speak at a camp just outside of Boston, and we hadn't, we as a family had never really traveled on the East Coast. And so we literally had like a three-week vacation where we uh, we left St. Louis and we uh, we headed east. And we, uh, we just had a wonderful three weeks. But Katie, our middle child, was 15 and a half years old, and she had her permit, right? And so she's, you know, making it very, very clear before we go on this vacation that she expects to have the opportunity to drive. You know, this is a perfect chance for her to really practice her, her driving skills with all the rest of us in the car with her. And uh, so I, I thought about it for a while, and I thought, you know, Katie, that's a reasonable request. So I told her, I said, Katie, when we get to Kansas you can drive across the entire state. (laughs) The people that understand geography are laughing. The people that don't are kind of scratching their heads and going, what's so funny? Uh, It was about halfway through Ohio that she asked for the Rand McNally Atlas, (laughs) at which point she said, that's real funny, Dad. (laughs) All of us have had grandiose plans at one time or another. Uh, All of us have simple plans. It uh, doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, an, an amazing plan. It could be as simple as, you know, let's plan for a weekend away or let's, you know, let's plan our monthly budget. But all of us understand the idea of planning and probably all of us have had the experience of our plans going awry. Uh, the best laid plans don't always work out the way we think that they should. The, the question is, uh, how do we react to that? Uh, what emotions do you go through? Uh, what do you experience when you think you've kind of got it charted out, and then instead of going in this direction, it goes in that direction? The Apostle Paul this morning, the passage we're going to read, Paul has a plan, and he has it laced up. He has it all figured out. He knows what it's going to look like. He knows what what God's call is on his life, and he, and he knows uh, what, he, what he should be doing. And so as he begins to conclude his letter to the Romans, he begins to talk to them about future plans, which, which makes sense. If you're uh, having a phone conversation or you send an email with someone that you care about and you think you're going to come and visit them, you may begin to talk about those plans. And that's what Paul is doing in the second half of Romans chapter 15, which we'll read in just a second. The question is, did the plans work out the way Paul intended? And if not, what was his reaction? Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, uh, and reading through the end of the chapter, which is uh, about 11 verses through verse 33. Hear the word of God. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped by you on my journey, uh, to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings." When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we sung this morning, I just uh, was again reminded of the longing of the human heart. Father, we get so busy and we're, we're distracted by so many things, but when it gets quiet and the noise uh, begins to, to fade away and, and we begin to reflect, and uh, perhaps we're looking forward in life or perhaps we're, we're looking back, uh, perhaps we're just uh, consumed by the moment, there's a, there's a feeling in of our hearts of, of desire, of hope that all of this makes sense. That, that life somehow fits together, that we are not just um, a spinning cosmos that is a here by happenstance, uh, that our lives are irrelevant, that um, the journey of 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life is not just an exercise in futility, but that accounts for something. And so, Father, as we gather here together this morning, we come to the one who is eternal. We come to the one who stands outside of time, who stands above time, who stands above the created order, and who knows the beginning from the end, who knows all that has taken place and all that will take place. Father, you are not restricted by um, our uh, finiteness, the the questions that we have. So, Lord, we come to you as the one who sees all and knows all. Father, our, our hopes in the gospel cause us to plan, cause us to to seek to follow you with some direction in our lives. But Lord, we, we need to submit our hearts to you. Uh, whether they're full of questions this morning and, and confusion or whether uh, we're in a steady and, and, and safe place emotionally, Lord God, we, we pray that we would hear this word as you intend it, not as I try to deliver it, Father, my words are irrelevant. But as we, as we listen to your word through the Apostle Paul, And we consider the steps of our lives and the plans of our lives, whether it's individually or whether it's as a a spiritual family, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us, that we would understand your truth and that it would be applied to our lives. Father, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want to speak to us this morning. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, will uh, will Paul's blueprint work to perfection or will there be some bumps uh, along the road? Uh, What I'd like to do is is walk through this passage with you and and do it in a fairly short amount of time uh, without a whole lot of side notes and illustrations and comments. Uh, I want to kind of walk through Paul's plan uh, and and how he strategized for it and how he executed it. And then I want to go back again and then look at, at what actually happened in Paul's life and then ask the question uh, what impact did that have on Paul, and what on earth does that have to do with us this morning? So I've broken down the plan into, into three elements, and we'll look at each one. The first one is the big picture, the second one is Paul's strategy, and the third one is, is how Paul was going to execute that strategy. Let's start with the big picture, where, where Paul says in verse 23 that my work in these regions has been completed. Uh, this is somewhere around the mid-50s AD, fifty six. 57 AD, Paul has been uh, serving in the kingdom of God for for well over 15 years, uh, and he has been all over the near Middle East, and he's been uh, all over uh, the near Asian continent as well. And he says in verse uh, 23, I no longer have room for work in these regions. Paul was an evangelist. Paul was an outward thinker. Paul, uh, once he established a church in a community and spent some time there, began to ask the question, where's the next opportunity to start the next congregation? Where else can I go and preach the gospel where it hasn't been heard? And so Paul understood that that th- this area of the world had really, by, by God's grace and by his efforts, had heard the gospel loud and clear. And so he said, it's time for me to move on. And so he begins to, to look, and in verse 24, he says, I'm on my way to Spain. I'm on my way to Europe. Uh, I'm going to the next place to, uh, to preach the gospel. The gospel, as far as Paul knew, had not gotten to the, uh, the southern part of the European continent, much beyond uh, Rome and, and, and what we call today Italy. And so he was looking for the next opportunity And so that's the big picture for Paul. So as he writes to the Romans, he says, I want to see you as I pass by on my way because my work here is completed and I'm going on to the next opportunity. Well, the second aspect of this is then the strategy, Paul. How how did he see that developing in his mind? Uh, How is this going to work out? And he says, well, first of all, I'm going to Jerusalem with an offering for the poor. And in verses 25 through 28, I'm not going to read all of that again, but verse 25, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. There had been in Paul's day and age, uh, a pretty severe famine in the near Middle East. And and the people of Jerusalem had felt the, the pain and the suffering of that famine pretty significantly. And so as Paul traveled north of Jerusalem, as he traveled to the churches and and these uh, New Testament books, as you read them, uh, Ephesians or Colossians or Corinthians, he had been to all of those towns. He had been to Corinth, he had been to Ephesus, and he had been collecting an offering for the poor in Jerusalem, for those who had been suffering through the famine. And so he says, before I go on to Spain, I've collected all all of these gifts and I'm going to take them to the saints in Jerusalem. And then he says, the next step for me will be to stop off and see you on my way to Spain. So he says, when I've completed this, when I've gone to Jerusalem, when I've, when I've accomplished this, then I will leave for Spain by way of you. So his intention, his strategy is to go to Jerusalem and then to go to Rome. And how does he intend to execute this strategy? He says in verse 30, I need your prayer and I need your support. In verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul rightly understood that any ministry that was going to take place and be effective is going to be a ministry that's covered with prayer, is going to be a ministry that, that starts and ends and all the way through from the start to the finish is going to be covered with prayer. And we'll come back to this in a a few minutes as we look at how things played out. But as we think about our individual plans, are they covered with prayer? As we think about our plans as a church and where God's going to lead the spiritual family of Green Tree Community Church, are we covering those plans with prayer? Paul says, I need your prayer. I need your support. And so he lays out this, this idea of how he's going to execute this, but he also is, is understanding the reality of the situation. He's aware of the hindrances that may keep him from accomplishing his plan. In verse 31, he says, after he says, I want you to pray for me, pray specifically what? That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service may be acceptable to the saints. Paul knew there were, there were two issues that could sidetrack his plan. One was the unbelievers in Jerusalem. Now, what you need to understand in the context of Paul's life is that uh, Paul's enemies, the men who did not agree, the religious leaders that did not agree with Paul's position on the gospel, were violently opposed to him. And when I say violently, I mean physically opposed to him. If you go back and read the early chapters of Acts, we meet Paul when he was still Saul, and he was one of those people. He was one of those people that said, Jesus is is a nutcase. Any of his disciples are are, are just absolutely out of their minds, and we need to squash this as if it were a rebellion. And he spent his time going and finding Christians and putting them in jail and persecuting them. And so when when Paul says, I want to be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, we can't take that in a context of 21st century St. Louis, Missouri. There are plenty of unbelievers in St. Louis that don't care a whit about Jesus, but they're not going to come up and punch you in the nose or grab me and put me in jail because of my faith. They're, they kind of have a live and let live mentality, but not so with Paul. And so he says, I, I am aware of the hindrances, but he also understands that there's division within the churches. So he wants to make sure that his service may be acceptable to the saints. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I haven't been in Jerusalem in a long time. And people have heard about me, but some people haven't met me. And my reputation may be such that they may not support what I'm doing. And so Paul sees the struggle from the outside of the church, but he also sees the struggle from within the church. And I love his honesty here because while we'd like to think that you know, that there aren't any human struggles in church, that there isn't any backbiting, that there isn't any divisiveness, that there isn't any uh, you know, gossip and slander within the church, we know that's not true. We know that we can do greater harm to one another than even unbelievers can do to us. And so Paul rightly understands the hindrances That's why he concludes by saying his ultimate trust is in God. In verses 32 and 33, he prays that he would be delivered Why? so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Paul understands that that this plan is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So he has a plan. He He has an idea. He knows what he believes he should be doing. And if he's successful, from, from the time he penned this letter, uh, when he when he puts the final you know, period at the end and it's sent to the church in Jerusalem, or the church in Rome to be read, uh, in his mind, I, I would imagine as I look at this time frame that he plans on being in Rome within the next six months. And he plans on being in Spain no more than, than six to twelve months after that. The question is: did it work out? How did the plan go? He has a great plan. Well, let's look at the reality of Paul's situation. The first thing, as I mentioned a moment ago, we need to understand the context. And the letter to the Romans was written somewhere within the context of Acts 20 and 21 as Paul travels to Jerusalem sometime in in the mid-50s AD. So Paul, if if you want to go back to Acts and you want to start in chapter 20 and, and read to the end of the book of Acts, you will have a great context for not only Paul's plan in chapter 15, but, but the question that we want to answer this morning as to how that plan unfolded. Chapters 20 through 28 of Acts lay that out very clearly. So Paul is somewhere on the journey to Jerusalem. He's, he's collected the money, and he's on his way back. He he's probably uh, has some time where he's traveling by ship. There's some times where he's traveling over the road. He has some time to sit in the evening, and he's writing to the Romans as he makes his way back to Jerusalem. In Acts 22 through 28, we learn that Paul does get to Rome, but he does not get to Rome in six months, and apparently it's not as a stop on the way to Spain. Paul ends up in Rome, but under very, very different circumstances. What happens? Well, Paul arrives in Rome within three years, not within six months. And he doesn't arrive as a free man who's going to stop and visit the Christian church in Rome and spend some time encouraging them and being encouraged by them and then make his way onto Spain. He comes to Rome as a prisoner. He comes to Rome as a man who has been arrested, as a citizen who's been charged with a crime because he has appealed his case to Caesar. Now, again, I'm not going to go back through these, these books or these, these chapters in the book of Acts. But I would encourage you, uh, if you kind of have this in the back of your mind, or maybe you've never heard it before, go back and read these chapters, and you'll see very clearly how all of this unfolds, how Paul is arrested in Jerusalem as he's bringing his gift by the unbelievers of whom he speaks in chapter 15, and how they, they try to take his life, and he's rescued by Roman soldiers, and they find out he's a Roman citizen, and so he, he is protected under the laws of Rome but his enemies follow him and and, and try to persuade the local authorities to have him put to death. And he finally has to appeal his case to Caesar in order to save his own life. So Paul has a wonderful plan about getting to Rome, but it begins to fall to pieces. It begins to come undone. And so literally it takes three years for him to arrive at Rome. And then he spends two years under house arrest in Rome. Now, he has the freedom to preach to anybody who will come to the house. So those people that come and visit him, those people that, that stop in to see him, those that have heard of him maybe by reputation, Paul is not muzzled. He, he's not told he must be silent. He doesn't have the freedom to wander around the city, but he does have the freedom to share the message of the gospel. And that's all we know from Scripture. Scripture ends, the book of Acts ends with saying for two years Paul freely spoke the gospel as he was under house arrest in Rome uh, as he was awaiting his trial. And that's where the life of Paul ends as far as what we understand. The most ancient writing on the end of Paul's life uh, comes through church fathers and it comes through Ignatius of Antioch who was a bishop in Antioch and it it was written in about 110 AD. Uh, So probably about... 50 or so years after uh, the incident, that Paul was reported to have been martyred in Rome under Nero's persecution around 64 AD. There's nothing in scripture that says that. Uh, Ignatius may not be right, but he's the oldest source we have. And and most scholars would agree that that's probably where Paul met his end. Paul never got to Spain. He never got to accomplish his task. Now, you might be sitting here saying, well, gee, thank you so much for the history lesson. That was, that was wonderful. Can we go now? <laughs> what, what's this got to do with us? That's, that's a question I always ask my children when they, when they come to me and they need something. You know, Dad, I, the rent's due. And I'm like, well, what's that got to do with me? Um, so it's a, it's a fair question. If you're sitting here this morning saying, Tom, thanks for the history lesson. That was great. I'd like to go get my donut and, and go on about my business. So what? There's a very distinct application for us this morning that I, want to, that I want to dive into for just a couple minutes with you. And I, and I just have two uh, thoughts on that. But here's the first one. Disciples, believers in Jesus of Green Tree Community Church, everybody in this room that would say, I've put my trust, I've put my faith in Jesus for my salvation on. He is my Lord, he is my Savior. We must be thoughtful. We must be prayerful. We must be strategic about our personal growth and about sharing Jesus with our generation. It was good for Paul to have a plan. There's no place in scripture where Paul is chided for for thinking through this and for trying to determine what his next steps were to be. And, and, And it is wise for us to be very intentional about our growth in Christ individually as well as as the growth of the influence of Green Tree Community Church in this area of St. Louis and beyond? Do we have a plan? Are we thinking that way? What is your intention? What is my intention for the next 12 months and where I want to grow in my faith? As I look at my life, do I pause long enough to sit down and say, you know, here's, here's maybe two or three areas where I really want to grow as a disciple? I really see this, this lacking in my life. Or maybe I go to a couple friends and say, where do you think I need to grow in my faith? How t- Teach me some things here that I can learn because I want to be more and more like Christ. You know, we have retirement plans. We have career plans. Do we have spiritual growth plans? Do we have an idea that, that says, I need to be growing in my faith? I need to be maturing in my discipleship. And that doesn't just kind of happen uh, by chance, but rather it is a is a direct influence of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. But I need to partner in that. I, I need to say to myself, where, where are the opportunities for me to grow as a disciple of Jesus? I, I would challenge every person in this room, myself included, to give this some very quiet, thoughtful, prayerful time. If we are just thinking that discipleship happens by osmosis or just kind of kind of occurs as we go on our journey, it will to a certain degree. The, the, the word of God and the Holy Spirit will be active. But I think we will miss growth opportunities if we're not purposeful and strategic and prayerful about the opportunities given to us. And then on a, on a larger scale, outside of ourselves, outside of my own personal growth, am I praying and am I thoughtful and am I asking God, Lord, where can I have my influence? Where are there people in my sphere of influence that don't know you? might be my next-door neighbor. It might be a business partner. It might be um, a fellow student in, you know, in my chemistry class. Uh, every one of us who is a disciple of Jesus have friends, have acquaintances, have people that we know that don't know Christ. And, and their eternity is in jeopardy. And God has put us in this community and in this place and this time not by happenstance. The friends that you have, the family members that you have, the people that I know, the people that I rub elbows every day well, that's not by chance that's by God's design. And so it is good and it is wise for us to say, how am I growing as a disciple? But also how am I using my gifts in the kingdom to to share the gospel with others? To be like Paul to say, you know what? Okay, this area is good. You know, all my kids are are believers are all trusting in Christ, but now what about my business? Or what about my school? Or what about, uh, you know, the Rotary Club in which I serve? You know, what about my neighborhood? Where's the next horizon? Where's the next horizon for Green Tree as, as, a, as a body of believers? We're in a lot of transition right now. We have a lot of staff transition taking place. Uh, our facility, long-term facility issues and kind of putting our roots down into to Green Tree, that has a life of its own. I, could, I look forward to the day when I can kind of tell you everything that's going on in these months behind the scenes as we think and pray about uh, our, our facility issues. There, there's a lot of things happening. and It almost seems to change uh, on a weekly basis. My head ca- kind of spins every once in a while to keep up with it. It's good for us to plan. It's good for us to think, it's good for us to be prayerful about these things, to to not have a plan uh, is to miss the opportunity to grow in Christ and to share Christ with others. I was at, (laughs) this is a silly example, but it it works. I was in Einstein's the other morning, this was probably five five days ago, it was probably Monday or Tuesday of this week and I was getting my bagel and coffee and as I was standing in line there were three high school girls behind me and they were probably 15, 16 years old. And, uh, and they're just talking away. And, and I can tell, I'm not really eavesdropping, I can tell two things. I added up all three of their ages and realized that I was older than all three of them combined, um, <laughs> which wasn't exactly encouraging. But I, it was clear that they were trying to figure something out. It was clear that they were working on a plan. And, uh, you know, for 6.45 in the morning, they were very animated. As I was never that awake at 6.45 when I was in high school. And they were talking about what they were going to do. And finally, one of them says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got it. We're going to my grandma's house. Every time I go to grandma's house, she, she, honey, what do you want to eat? And she cooks us a big meal. I realized they were trying to figure out their dinner plans for the evening. And uh, we're, go- we're going to my grand. Oh, you guys won't believe it. She's, just, she's the best cook, and she'll just give us so much. They're just going on. And, like, they need a lot of food. They all maybe combined weigh, you know, 175 pounds, 23 of them. But she had a plan, and she was going to execute this plan. And, and I have two little tiny granddaughters, and I began to see my future. And I began, we'll go to Grandpa Tom's because he'll get us anything we want, which (laughs) is probably going to be true. But the Lord blessed them. They had a plan, and they were going to execute that plan. And I think at times, friends, individually as well as corporately, we miss that. We kind of think it's going to happen. And I want to encourage us to, to, Paul's not the hero of this story. The Lord Jesus is the hero of this story. But I'd encourage us to think like Paul and to be strategic. Why has God placed me in the neighborhood I'm in? Why has God given me the gifts and the abilities to be in this kind of business? Why has the Lord placed me in this school versus that school? And how can I use my abilities to the glory of God? But secondly, and it's going to sound like I'm almost going to argue the opposite, and I'm not. I think these are both equally true at the same time. Secondly, every disciple must submit our agenda to God's providence. We must hold our designs with an open hand. And and I'll come to verse 33 in just a minute. But I think so often, um, at least corporately within the church, maybe not individually, but corporately within the church, we get an idea and and we get it all figured out and we move forward and we have no flexibility for how the Spirit of God may move us, how how the Spirit of God may change us. How he may say, you know what, you got parts A and B right, but we're going to do C and D in a completely different way. The question is at that moment, are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? Are we trusting God for the outcome and allowing him to be God and, and to change the direction however he so decides because we know his sovereign plan is the perfect one? His is not limited like ours. My plan's limited. I do a lot of think time on a Green Tree Community Church in our future. I, I spend, that, that's part of my responsibility. But am I submitting that to the Lordship of Christ? Am I saying, Father, as far as I can tell and as I pray through this, here's what I believe that we ought to be doing. Here's where I believe we ought to be concentrating. But at the end of the day, if that's wrong, please take us in another direction. Or am I so laser focused and am I such a, a control freak? And you, I don't know if you're a control freak. I am. I can just want to just kind of strangle something to death and, and make sure you know, that I, I suck all the life out of it as I make sure it happens my way. Am I willing to just kind of open my hands? I say, okay, Lord, I'm I'm, I'm going to plan and I'm going to pray, but your will be done. And pray that genuinely, not, not pray that in a way that is, that is just giving lip service, but rather truly bending my knee and saying, Lord, you know what is best. Your timing is always perfect. Your vision is never clouded. You're not hampered. You're not finite. You're infinite. Worry doesn't, doesn't affect the way you make a decision. Fear doesn't impact you when it comes to doing what is best for your kingdom. There are no question marks in the back of your mind. And so, yes, you call me to trust you and to pray and to plan, but I'm going to do that in the context of your lordship. And I would say that's equally true for us as individuals as well as for a church. I believe absolutely that every one of us who is a disciple of Jesus this morning ought to be praying, Father, what do you want to do in my life? Your will be done. And that's an that's a open-handed prayer, is it not? That's a prayer that, that doesn't say, Lord, it's this way or the highway. When you say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're releasing. You're, you're, you know, that's me trying to stop being a control freak. And then being at peace because I serve the God of peace. Because that's who he is. He's not going to bring turmoil into my life He's not going to bring angst into my life. There may be very difficult situations that come into my life. Paul certainly lived through the rest of his life as a prisoner. That's not the most delightful thing that could happen to a person. But it was in the context of God's redeeming love. And there were people in Rome that if Paul hadn't been a prisoner, would never have heard the gospel. And their eternity would have been radically different. And the same is true as a church, as a body of believers. We say, Lord, we really believe that this this is your will for us, but if it's not, change it. And if it's not, let us hold it with an open hand. If we don't trust in the will of God, if we don't allow him to be Lord, then we will more often than not miss the mark. And we will not honor one another or his name and the way we go about the ministry and the lives he has given us. But if we are, are willing to say, God, I'm going to let go of it, I'm, uh, it's not going to be under my control. We don't know how things are going to turn out from a human perspective. We may go through some real bumps in the road. We may go through some very, very difficult moments, but it will be for the glory of God. It will be for His kingdom. And at the end of the day, it will be the most impactful thing we could possibly ever accomplish. I was reading this week um, a story that I hadn't read for quite a while, and I'm not sure if it was a story about the mom or it was a story about the three sons. I think it was. Probably both the author kind of emphasized different parts of it at different times. But all three of the sons were Christians, and the, and the mother was not. And she was actually pretty antagonistic against the gospel and against faith, and, and the idea of the cross being how she would, she would experience salvation was offensive to her. And, and through the story, the sons all prayed for their mother's salvation. And, and interestingly, and, and I you say from a human perspective, sadly, each one of those sons died. And the mother buried each one of them. Now, that's, you know, the worst thing you can, you can think of. But then she kind of tells her side of the story. And she says, you know, when I stood by the grave of my first son, you know, I had clenched fists and I was angry. When I stood by the grave of my second son, I just, my head was bowed and I was, you know, I was, I just, I was in despair. But when I stood by the grave of my third son, I was a weeping believer. Now, if you could go back and ask those three guys, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a long life and a mother who never knows salvation through Christ? Or would you give your life if that were God's plan so that your mom's soul could be saved? And I can guarantee you from reading this story, every one of those boys would have said, sign me up. I want God's will because it's for his glory and it's for our salvation. And I don't tell that story lightly or flippantly or just to try to get an emotional response. And I'm getting emotional thinking about it because I'm a a father and a a grandfather. But I think those boys were on to something. I think they understood that growth in Christ, witness for Christ needed a plan. They were very deliberate about talking to their mom about Jesus. But at the end of the day, they held that with an open hand. And at the end of the day, their, their mom was saved. I don't know what the future is for Green Tree Community Church. I don't know what's going to happen to me, you know, after the service is over, assuming I get through the service okay. <laughs> but God does. God knows your future. He knows my future. He knows what he has in store for each one of us. And he knows what he has in store for the Green Tree spiritual family. So by God's grace, let us plan. Let us pray. Let us be thoughtful let us trust God. Let's pray. Father, we just would ask this morning that you would lead us Mm -hmm. and that we would not try to take the reins away from you. Father, you have called us to to be thoughtful and to be prayerful. Scripture is very clear that, that you tell us to Think and to plan and to pray for how we can impact this world. You you tell us to go and, and and make disciples. Father, that's one of our parts of our mission statement, to grow disciples, to renew communities, to plant churches. All of that takes thoughtfulness, all of that takes um, energy and, and prayer and attention. But Father, may we never think that we hold our destiny in our hands. May we never think that we control it. May every prayer that we pray for ourselves individually, for the souls of, of our friends and our family members. And for the well-being of this congregation, always end with, your will be done. We pray through Jesus. Amen.